Well, good morning. Uh, Jen always escapes out of here real quickly, but uh, I and I'll tell her in person, but I want to thank her and the band for especially that uh, indescribable song, the Chris Tomlin song. I typically stand back there to greet and then sit back there. And so I seldom am sitting up here in the front where Jeff is now, but I can see uh, in my peripheral vision, uh, see the faces as I would kind of look back and the, the just the level of of worship and uh, emotion on people's faces as they were singing that song. It was really cool. So uh, I want to thank them for that. Well, uh, we are um, in week number four of uh, this series, Transformed. And we've been studying these seven ways in which we want God to transform our lives, these seven areas of our lives. So Jeff started out with our spiritual selves, which... We need to start there anyway. And uh, then we went to that next week to our physical selves and then last week to our mental selves, our minds, our intellect. And then today we're going to study our emotional selves. So as we get going, let me pray for us to get us started. Jesus, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the fact that uh, whether invited or not, you are here with us. And I just um, ask you to touch our hearts as we listen to your word and I just pray personally that uh, whenever I open my mouth, that uh, your words would come out. I invite you to enter into our my motivations, my thinking pattern. Help me to clearly express what you would want us to hear this morning. And, and I would speak for the rest of us in the room that uh, we invite you to come into our hearts and to touch us. So um, we're excited about that. We love you. You're an awesome God. You're the best. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have to start out, as always, with a story, as is my M.O. Uh, for 20 years, my wife Kim and I were involved in this bicycle tour ministry. For the last 15 of those years, we actually owned and operated that group. And we would take high school and college students on uh, spring break trips to Florida and then during the summertime bike around here during the Midwest. And, and uh, we purposely planned and, and operated that ministry as a faith walk journey. So this is how that would work. We would take these students, most of which, by far, most of which had never ridden a bike around the block, much less on a highway down the road. And uh, we would take them to Florida. I would know where we were going to start, North Florida or South Georgia. And I knew where we were going to end the trip, somewhere down south. But everything in between was left up to God to supply, including where we stayed and, and our safety and all that kind of stuff. And so it was a faith walk journey teaching these kids how to literally trust the Lord for your everything and um, phenomenal experiences. And Kim and I got to be absolute experts of getting people from point A to point B. And uh, so one, this one year, there was this girl, college girl, Anderson University student, and she was a whiner and she was a complainer. And every moment of every day, she was complaining about how hot it is, how hard it is, this and that and this and that. Well, she was also very weak physically, which made it worse. All right. So uh, midweek during the week, we were uh, going through Orlando, past all the busy Disney, all that kind of stuff. And then out the north side of Orlando and to the west. And I had uh, my mindset that we would probably stay in this place called St. Cloud, which was 20 or 30 miles outside of Orlando, and there was a, an Assembly of God church that we had stayed in there in years past, so I, I kind of felt like that would probably work out for us again. And uh, so anyway, we're 20 or so miles out of town, and it was really hot, 
and very, very windy right in our face, strong headwind. And we were all struggling, but this girl especially, she was not in the mood anymore for this shenanigans. And uh, complain, 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 gripe, 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 gripe. Well, it got to the point where we were lagging way, way behind because of her. And so I put myself in the back group with, with her and with uh, our friend Scott, who Scott and, and Laura are part of Grace Chapel now. And so uh, you can confirm this story with Scott. But anyway, uh, so uh, late in the day, late in the afternoon, I knew we were not going to, with her, not going to arrive on time before dark. And so I sent the rest of the 20 or 30 bikers ahead, go on, gave them some instructions. We'll be there eventually. And so Scott and this girl and I slowly, methodically made our way down all the while hearing her complain. Well, it got to be where she just lost it. She pulled off the side of the road, about made me wreck, and uh, stopped her bike, picked up her bike, which was my bike, because she was borrowing it, threw it out into the highway I hate this stupid bike. I'm not biking anymore. I'm stopping right here and you can't make me. Okay, so what does Kevin do? Kevin says, hey, I know you're tired. Get back on the bike. Quit whining. It's not going to help. I don't care how long you whine, how much you complain. It's not going to help because you're getting back on the bike and we're going to go. I don't care how long it's like. Just get back on the bike and... Furthermore, don't ever throw my bike out into the road ever again. We eventually made it, and as Scott was, you know, they had, if I remember right, they'd already eaten dinner, we were way late, and Scott was telling Kim the story, and, uh, and Scott said, hey, I have a new nickname for Kevin, Compassion International. <laughs> and so for the last 15 years, Scott has called me Compassion International. The reason is Kevin does not do this with emotions. Kevin is this. And so Jeff asked me last week, he said, hey, that'd be great if you would preach on Sunday. Would you, would, would you care to do that? And I said, yeah, sure, before he told me. Oh, by the way, we're talking about your emotional selves on Sunday. And I think it was all a cruel joke. I think he was like with the staff team going, before I come into the room, he said, okay, watch this. I'm going to ask Kevin to do the emotional talk. And uh, all week long, my family especially has been giving me grief all week long. When I told Kim and Logan, Logan's first words, well, this ought to be good. So, so anyway, I don't show my emotions. I come upon this honestly. You know, my dad, from his dad, passed on down. I remember in junior high, my dad came into the, one Saturday, came into the the house, big rag dripping with blood. And he said to my mom, um, I think you should probably take me to the hospital in that tone of voice. He took off the blood or the, the rag and he had on the circular saw cut this finger down the middle. And he said in that tone of voice, honey, I think you should probably take me to the hospital. You know, I've, I've been known to when something really exciting happens to me in my life, I'll go to Kim and I'll say, Kim, I'm extraordinarily happy about this situation. <laughs> and it's true. I mean, that's just me. And I've struggled with that all my life. The day I started here at Grace Chapel, uh, Jeff and I went out to lunch and went down to the Mexican restaurant. We came back and we're sitting in his truck out, just outside the office here. And I said, Jeff, before we get to day number two, I have to tell you, because this is just me, that you're going to have to learn something about me. You're going to have to learn what I say and not what I look like. You're going to have to learn to trust my words, not my face, because that's just me. I don't, I, 
that's how I that's how I roll and I can't help it. But I uh, am very, very that way. It's not that I don't have emotions. It's just that I don't show them very well or very much. But I on the inside, I have a huge plethora of. A storehouse of emotions. We all have a long list of emotions that we deal with every single day, every single day of every year. As an exercise that I thought was kind of cool as I was preparing this, I started naming some emotions that I experienced. And you should do that, too. And the list got this long. We don't realize at all. We don't have nearly the handle on our emotional selves as we think we do. And so as an exercise, I think that'd be valuable to do. Just start naming some emotions that you experience and you'll be impressed with how long that list is. We everyone that we come in contact with, everyone in our world has a long list of emotions. And so we're going to try to answer the question today. How do I deal with how I feel? That's the theme of the day today. Some people were hanging around Jesus one day and they asked him, so what's the most important commandment? And he surprised them by saying the most important commandment is that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind and with all of your strength. Now, I am positive I wasn't there, but I am positive that Jesus did not say it in that way, that he was a little bit different than Kevin. Okay, I am positive that Jesus said, guys, here's the deal. If you want to be linked with me and have a relationship with me and my father, you need to love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart. Incidentally, when the Bible talks about heart, it's talking about our emotions or about our feelings. You need to love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart, with all of it, with all of your soul. That's your spiritual self with all of your mind. That's your intellectual self. We talked about last week and with all of your your physical self. Can you hear the emotion in that sentence and in that lesson right there with Jesus? We need to start out today with some ground rules. We're going to talk about the 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 what, the why and the how today. So the what I like to start out with. So what's the deal? Okay, what are we talking about? So let's start with some ground rules, some some assumptions here. First is that God has emotions. God is an emotional God. God feels joy and, and wonder and grief and pain and jealousy and triumph. God is an emotional God. And the reason that we have emotions is because God has emotions and God created us in his image. Genesis 1:26 says, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. You know, we've all heard that verse, some of us hundreds of times. But I think most of us fail to grasp the enormity, the significance of that short little statement. God. There was no beginning, there is no end. God said at one point in history, I am going to create these beings and they are going to become my children. Therefore, I'm going to put myself into them, I'm going to put my personality into them. I'm going to give them part of me. Now, he reserved some parts of him that are for him only omnipotence, you know, righteousness, absolute holiness, those kinds of things he reserved for himself. But much of himself he gave to us. He's an emotional God. We have emotions because he is an emotional God. And secondly, our ability to feel is a gift from God. 
our ability to feel is an incredible asset, an incredible gift that he has given us. It allows us to to triumph. It allows us to feel it. It it allows us to be joyful. It allows us to be creative. It allows us to wrong the rights. It allows us to be kind. Incidentally, you know, Jeff likes to to every so often say, hey, here's an argument against uh, evolution. Well, here's another one. Okay, if if everything became out of nothing, if we are a result of just just something that just kind of happened over time, how do you account for emotion, kindness, love, all of that? And that's a gift from God. Thirdly, we need to avoid extremes. Okay, another ground rule here. And incidentally, it's pretty wise to never live on the extremes of, of any part of our lives. Those of you who are my age or, or older remember Paul Harvey. How many grew up on listening to Paul Harvey, right? So I, you know, he died, what, 10, 12, 15 years ago? And I still miss Paul Harvey. I still think about his commentaries. And, and I, I just have these warm memories of, of being out in the backyard and my dad building a treehouse with me and noontime on Saturday and Paul Harvey comes on and, and everything just stops. And you listen to Paul Harvey. Well, he did this commentary one time about living on the extremes. And I just remember that real vividly, that it's very seldom a good idea to live on the extremes of whatever you're dealing with. So this is no different. Okay, so we have two extremes that we need to kind of stay away from. One of the extremes on this far end of this emotional spectrum, I'm going to call emotionalism. Meaning a person who suffers with emotionalism is a person that says, basically, the only thing that matters is how I feel. Okay? It doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. It doesn't matter if it's popular or not popular. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad or who or what. The only thing that matters is how I feel. You know, this person says, if it feels good, do it. If it doesn't feel good, don't do it. In a group of people, a group of, of people this person says, hey, I don't, I don't care what y'all feel. It's how I feel. And we make decisions based on how I feel about this all the time. The only thing that matters is how I feel. Okay, we don't need to live there. The other end of the spectrum is stoicism. Okay, feelings don't matter at all. The only thing that matters is intellect and our will. They're irrelevant. They're inconsequential. We don't need to pay attention to them. They don't matter at all. Okay, so we don't need to live on either end of that spectrum. God gave us feelings. He designed us with feelings. They're important in our life. They're necessary in our life. But... They can be confusing and we need to learn to manage them. So that's the what. Those are the ground rules. Let's move on to why. And uh, in each one of my lessons or sermons, I like to have a chunk of time where we talk about, so what's the big deal? Why do we even care about this? Why do I think, why do I need to think this is important? And you're listening to me and you're like saying, okay, why? why? Okay. So we're going to talk about for a good chunk of time, the, the why. First, and this uh, mirrors a little bit of what Jeff, uh, one of his points yesterday, or, or last week. One reason why I need to be concerned about this is that oftentimes my feelings are unreliable. Sometimes I can't trust my feeling. And sometimes my feelings actually lead me astray or lead me down the wrong path. You know, sometimes they're good and reliable and they're basic and I know it. That's cool. But most, sometimes, maybe even often, our emotions are unreliable. Uh, when Whitney was this big and she was first getting into 4-H 
and she thought she wanted to learn how to ride horses. And I thought that was cool because I thought the whole, you know, cowboy horse thing culture would be kind of cool. And so uh, we, I can see these two nodding their heads. Yes, that's a cool. So uh, we were, we got started going to where there was a barn in Springboro. We took her to some lessons and uh, they had this little paint colored colt there at that barn that was like four months old, barely weaned. And that thing was the cutest thing in the world. I mean, you just heart would melt when you saw that colt. And I fell in love with that colt. And I went home to Kim that day and said, Kim, 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 we got to buy it. We got to buy it. We got to buy it. It'll be really cool. And uh, Whitney will love it. She'll grow up with it. They'll be best buds. This will be awesome. Let's get it. Okay. And, and we ended up buying this little colt. And it indeed was the cutest little thing. Okay. That colt grew up to be the devil horse from hell. <laughs> that colt grew up to be this horse that was unreliable, untrustable, one time bolted right over the top of Whitney, bloodied her nose. We thought her nose might have been broken. One time she's riding in at our pasture and just out of the blue, it bolted back to the barn and threw her up against the barn. And luckily she had a helmet on or her head would have been broken against the barn. One time I was out with just one other guy out at Caesar Creek on the trails and that horse just all of a sudden, okay, I'm going to do a backflip right on top of Kevin. Backflip, land, and uh, you know, my friend had to help carry me out of the Caesar Creek to the hospital because I thought my pelvis might have been cracked. I mean, how many times have you said, hey, I got this gut feeling, only to find out later that that gut feeling was like completely wrong? How many people have gotten in trouble at the casino because, oh, I have this gut feeling I ought to put all my money on red? Okay? Sometimes our feelings, our emotions are not trustworthy. And we need to, to uh, be careful of that. Proverbs 14, 2 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Sometimes we need to just be careful about that. Another reason why we need to be concerned about this is that we don't want to be manipulated. I don't want to be manipulated and you don't want to be manipulated. If I don't control my emotions, my emotions are going to control me. Why do you think companies like Kroger and Procter and Gamble and Rave Theaters and the Cincinnati Reds spend millions and millions of dollars researching color packaging, where they put products in the store, the store layout? why they put some products at the back and why they put some products at the, at the front. Our Kroger pumps out the rotisserie chicken smell out into the, to the uh, parking lot. You get out of your car and that's what you feel and that's what you smell. Why do you think they do that? Because they know we are uh, emotional creatures and that most of us can't control those emotions. Why do you think they put the tabloids and the cheap candy and the nice, colorful, sparkly things right there at the... The checkout line, because they know you can't control your emotions and you're going to buy that stuff. All right. You go to the ballpark, you smell hot dogs and popcorn. It's on purpose. It's by design um, because we can't control. Proverbs 25, 28 says, like an open city with no defenses is the man with no check on his feelings. I've been uh, that, that verse is a phenomenal verse to me. I read that and I, I was like, OK, how right is that? 
I've, I've recently read this book called The Frontiersman and the sequels to that. These books are like this thick. They're, do, they're documentaries kind of taken from diary and journal writings and newspaper clippings about the, the exploration of the Miami Valley or the Ohio Valley um, from the east for back in the late 1700s, early 1800s, as the settlers began to make their way down into where we live. Fascinating, fascinating history, but gruesome drama-filled, horrific history in a lot of cases as the skirmishes between the settlers and the Indians. And the settlers would build a fort, and then the Indians would attack it, burn it down, kill everybody inside. Then they'd build another fort, then they would attack, burn it, you know. And over and over and over and over for about 30 years, that drama took place just you know, within a few miles of here. And, uh, and, and reading those stories... There would be the fort built out of, uh, out of logs and the big old heavy gate and, it would, and the, the attackers would try to burn it, you know, batter, batter it down, all that kind of stuff. And the settlers on the inside of the fort knew that if those tribesmen got in here, not only are we dead, but we are going to suffer a horrific, painful, gruesome death. It's not going to be good. And um, I read this verse. And that says, if I don't control my emotions, it's like I am opening that gate to that fort and saying, come on, here I am. If I don't learn to control my emotions, somebody else is going to do it for you. If you don't learn to control and to manage those emotions, your old self, your pre-Christian self is going to do it for you. If you don't learn to manage your emotions and your emotional life, certainly Satan is going to do it for you. Satan is a master at using negative emotions, jealous, envy, guilt, all those kind of things to control and to devour your joy and to ruin relationships. First Peter 5.8 says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I want you to watch this short video and it's going to help drive home that point. Let me tell you a story about my unique upbringing. And my, my parents and my grandparents were missionaries in Kenya, in East Africa. And I got the privilege of growing up there as a young boy. You know, in Kenya and in Tanzania, there's a people called the Maasai people. And the Maasai are nomadic and uh, they, they live in the grasslands, the savannas of Eastern Africa. One of the really unique things about the Maasai is they believe in their religion that God gave them ownership of all of the cattle of the world. And for that reason, every Maasai family has a small herd of cattle and some donkeys and some goats and sheep. Well, in their culture, little boys from the time they're five years old have the responsibility of herding those cattle and goats and donkeys to the water hole every single day. And so... From time they're very small, they have a huge responsibility of maintaining their family's wealth. So every day they walk perhaps hours to get to a water hole one way, 
hours back every single day of their childhood. And I think the, the most awesome part of that story for me is that they are not the only ones occupying that tall grass. Now, there are lions, there are hyenas, there are wild jackals that also occupy that area. And they're predators. And so every little Maasai boy carries a bow and arrow, maybe a shield, maybe a spear, and certainly a knife. Because they're responsible for protecting that herd. And those lions, those lions are the same color as that tall grass. And they just lie crouched, just waiting for their prey to look vulnerable. And just in the blink of an eye, they're a killing machine. And so for those little Maasai boys, having a disengaged mind, not paying attention, it's not just a dis an inconvenience for them. It could mean death, not only for their family's wealth, but for them too. For that reason, almost every Maasai boy before they're 16 has killed a lion with their knife or their spear or their bow and arrow. You know, for those Maasai boys, they cannot afford to just check out mentally, even for one minute, because it's so important. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know, Satan just loves using anxiety, resentment, bitterness in your life like that roaring lion, just waiting, waiting, waiting until you're vulnerable, until you're not paying attention to devour your relationships, to devour the joy in your life. That's why we need to learn to manage that. A third reason is that we just want to be successful in life. We want to please God. You know, we've all heard of our IQ, our intelligence quotient. Um, have you ever heard of our EQ? You know what that is? The EQ is the emotional quotient. And many psychologists uh, credit your emotional quotient for uh, being a more accurate predictor to success in life than your IQ. Because you know, they've done studies on little kids that uh, those kids that have an emotional strength are the ones that are predicted to do better in life, irregardless of intellect. It's so, so important. And I want to be able to please God. I want to please God. Romans 6, or 8, 6 through 8 says, To be controlled by our human nature results in death. To be controlled by the Spirit results in peace and life. And check this out. Those who obey their human nature cannot please God. We all know people who have ruined their lives who have incurred massive hardship because they are not able to control or to manage those emotions. Okay? So how do we do that? How do we individually, personally, each of us, figure out the management of this area of our life that is so big? It's hard. I know it's hard. It's hard for me. It's hard for you. If it wasn't hard, we wouldn't be talking about it. So how do we do that? Three steps, and I'm going to call them easy steps. No, I'm going to call them simple steps. Because they're not easy. They're simple, but they're not easy. First, you need to name it. You need to call it out. You need to identify it. Those, these emotions, that long list. Whatever you're feeling, you need to, to name it. Okay? You can't manage a vague feeling. You can't manage something that's vague. You have to identify it. You have to spell it out and really understand it in order to manage it. I don't know how many times over the course of our uh, marriage that I've been in an era of my life where I was, I don't know, something uncomfortable or something just uneasy or 
restlessness, and, and I just couldn't really figure it out. And I've gone home to Kim, and I'm, and I'm saying, you know, just something just feels off. I, I can't really... Have you ever done that? You know, we're not as in tune with our emotions as we think we are. Next time you're feeling something, just go through that little that little uh, exercise of, of naming it. What am I really feeling? Can I describe it? Can I, can I name it? Can I write it down? What is it? Um, scratch the surface. Sometimes you need to go a little bit deeper. Is, I, is what I'm feeling, is that really what I'm feeling? Is it really accurate? Uh, this is an example. Let's say that I was uh, laid off from my job or I was, my hours were severely cut back and it began financially to hurt our family. And so I would begin to get more and more depressed and down. And so and then that translates over time into, you know, I stop talking to people or I stop being um, joyful. And then I, you know, it starts to impact my life. And I describe that as I'm really depressed about this. Well, if we really scratch the surface, you might find out that depression or being depressed is really not the root. It could be that I find out that I really it's really anger. Maybe I'm angry for the way that this person treated me or the decision that this uh, boss of mine made that hurt the company and made me whatever. Maybe I find out that it's resentment. I resent this coworker who came on the job after I did, but is now there still remaining when I'm gone. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it, it just helps us to, to, to dive down just a little bit deeper, scratch the surface. What is it really that I'm feeling? A lot of times when we name it, that just helps just doing that. And then figure out what triggers it. Sights, smells, actions, things that you see, occurrences or whatever. What triggers that? And that's going to help you manage it a little bit more too. Um, last year, this time, uh, Logan and I and a bunch of other friends went out to northern Oklahoma um, wild boar hunting. And there were 12 or 13 of us and it was supposed to be this really great time. We didn't even see any wild boars while out there, but we had, we had a great time doing it anyway. But we got out there and it was, and it was freezing. It was 15 degrees, six inches of snow on the ground. And the, the host guy, that was, this was on a, a 45,000 acre bison ranch. And he said, okay, you guys are going to be staying in that barn there. Okay. So the barn is like 30 feet square, wood, metal, dirt. And that's it. You guys are staying in there. And it was cold, cold, cold. And so let's build a fire. Okay, so build a fire around the fire ring. Everybody laid out their sleeping bags and their cots and stuff around the perimeter of the barn. And uh, no ventilation, no windows, just barn and a fire. Okay, so guess what happens? Okay, the whole barn fills up with smoke to the point to where you just wanted to crawl down, you know, drop, you know, get where the oxygen is and live down there the whole time. Well, it just got smoky and smoky and smokier. And um, but it was a little bit of warmth. And so when it came to sleeping, I'm like, Dude, I'm going to be smart and put my sleeping bag right there by the like right by the fire. And then the smoke will go over me and I'll just be fine. Well, the smoke was going up and over and down on the other guys that were around the perimeter of the barn. And so they kept they started, Kevin, put out the fire. We need to get rid of the fire. They're coughing up phlegm and, you know, they were were miserable. And uh, they're Kevin, put out the stupid fire. And I was like, hey. Come bring your stupid sleeping bag over by the fire. I'm fine. No. And it went back and forth and back and forth. And there were some pretty hard, hard, hurt feelings over that. And we were stuck in there for three days. And uh, fortunately, since then, everything's made up. We're all fine and apologizing and all that kind of stuff. It's good. But 
I took my bow with me, and I, that, that year I was going to use a bow and arrow instead of a rifle to hunt. And so my bow case has um, foam in it that protects the bow. And that foam has soaked up that smell of, of that. It was very distinctive. I don't know if it was the kind of the wood we were burning or what. But So the problem, here's the problem. To this day, every time I open that bow case, I smell that and it brings back resentment. What triggers it? And that, that, these guys are my best friends in my life. We've made up. There's no problems. But every time I open that bow case, it takes me back to that barn, which we had those struggles and resentment. Name it. Call it out. Write it down if you need to. What triggers it? Scratch the surface. Secondly, we need to challenge it. I started with this whole thing. Sometimes your, your emotions are not accurate and are not right. Challenge it. Don't automatically just accept what you're feeling as being true. Maybe it's not true. Are things as bad as you think they are? Maybe, maybe not. Probably not. Here's an exercise you can do. Play out the what if game. When it comes to worry and anxiety, how many of us say, well, what if this happens? Well, what if that happens? The problem is we never play out. We never finish the what if game. And we always live in the what if. And the what if is always bad. Right? Sometimes it's accurate. Sometimes it's not. But we live there. We stop there. Play out the what if game. Well, what if? Okay, well, that, this will make that happen. Okay, well, what if? Well, this will make that happen. And be, by the time you've finished the what if game, chances are either you're going to identify the real problem or you're going to end up with the conclusion of, oh, I guess that's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. All right? Play out the what if game. Ask, is what I'm feeling helping me or hurting me? Uh, Kim's sister, Pam, has a, a little boy named Cade. And Cade, when he was younger, really, really struggled with his emotions. And he could, something could trigger him and he would go off the handle and just like the Tasmanian devil. And um, one time I took Cade to the YMCA and we were going to play in the play area. And so uh, this is another Compassion International story, just so you know. So, uh, so Cade, something, somebody stole his ball or something happened and Cade just lost it. And so I had to rescue Cade from the middle of the thing before he hurt somebody. I plopped him down on my lap and I squeezed him so he, he wouldn't escape. And there was another, I don't know how long, it seemed like forever. Cade just uh, kicking, screaming, yelling, punching, all this kind of stuff. And I just squeezed him. I said, Cade, this is not helping. Part of me was wanting to be mean. So I was like, okay, you can kick and scream and yell and fight and punch. I don't care. I can outlast you. You are not moving from here. I don't care how long. Go ahead and kick and scream. Doesn't matter to me. It's not bothering me. You can kick and scream. I don't care if you do this for four hours. You're not moving. And my, what I was trying to it never did get across to him, but what I was trying to get across to him was this is not helping. Your emotion is not helping you. And so, so we are not unlike children. Sometimes we get something in our crawl. We get our emotion or whatever. And we need to just sometimes stop and examine that challenge it is it helping me or is it hurting me is it is, is what i'm experiencing and my mismanagement of this is it helping or is it just making matters worse okay and thirdly we need to tame it okay first we named it then we challenged it now we need to tame it now we need to figure out what to do with it sometimes we just need to grow up spiritually and change it 
change our emotion. Philippians 2.5 says, Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. Now, ask yourself, and this may be a little cliche, but ask yourself, what would Jesus feel in this situation? WWF, WWJF, what would Jesus feel? If that's too cliche for you, ask yourself, okay, if I'm trying to be more and more in the image of Christ, is it relevant? Is it proper? Is it okay for me to feel this way? Would Jesus be so frustrated at that, at that waitress that he caused a scene? Would Jesus um, lash out at a coworker? Would Jesus snap at whoever? Would Jesus be wringing his hands over worry about some situation? Sometimes we just need to grow up spiritually and just realize that I'm, what I'm feeling is wrong and I just need to change it. Okay. Sometimes we need to channel that emotion. Sometimes it's a bad emotion, but it could be used for good. Tell you a story uh, quickly about one of our archers in our program. A little girl named Bhavna, 11 years old. Bhavna and her mother are first generation Ameri- Americans from, from India. And uh, Bhavna recently read or saw the movie The Lost Boys of the Sudan. And that's a story about the little boys who are who are just caught in the horror of civil war in the Sudan and are often recruited to be mercenaries. And it's just a horrendous story. And uh, she saw that and it just, her gut just wrenched over that story. And she was so impacted by that. Now, Bhavna could have stopped and or let that play out in her life. She could have lived for a long time with resentment, with anger, with guilt of living here, with you know, whatever. Instead, Bhavna came to me and said, hey, I I understand that you guys go to Nigeria and help the children in children's home who are orphans. Do you think I could raise some money to help impact some of the little boys and girls in Africa? I'm like, "Uh, yeah, let's figure it out. And so last week, Daniel from Nigeria, who you met a couple of weeks ago, and then my Kenyan friends Solomon and Alice just happened to be here at the same time in the same place for about 24 hours and Bhavna, her mother, Aruna, came over to our house and had dinner. This phenomenal evening and pictures that show some Americans, some Kenyans, a Nigerian guy, and these Indian women sitting around a table trying to figure out how Bhavna could raise some money to positively impact these little orphans in Nigeria because she was so enraged at the outrage and the, and the, you know, the horror of little... She channeled... It. She didn't let it just take root and destroy her. She channeled it into something. And she, re- she reported to me um, just this last week that she's in the hundreds of dollars now of money raised to send to Nigeria. Incredible story. Sometimes we need to challenge it. Sometimes we need to just realize that whatever occupies us in the inside, whatever I give permission to take root and to house and become inside is the same thing that's going to pop up outside whenever you're squeezed. Now, if I squeeze my toothpaste, toothpaste comes out. If I squeeze the ketchup bottle, ketchup comes out. Not once in my entire life have I squeezed the toothpaste and had ketchup come out. Right? What, whatever you give permission to take up housing on the inside is what's going to come out when you're squeezed. And we are all squeezed regularly. Here's the bottom line. If it's inappropriate, 
or unhealthy, you just need to change it. If it's a bad attitude or a negative attitude that could result in something good, we need to channel it, make it into something good. And if it is a good, healthy, awesome feeling, run with it. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for being with us today. We thank you for the opportunity to learn more about you. And we just pray for uh, you to give us strength and creativity and uh, the gumption to honor you with our emotional lives. And as we go through this list of seven, uh, we just look forward to the other end where we are healthier and more in tune with your image. We love you. You're an awesome God. You're the man. Amen. Have a great morning. And don't forget, if you want...